Welcome everybody to the next episode of the Cannabis Review. I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by Adria G. Barry, Barry, who's the director at the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. How are you keeping today, Adria? Doing great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Oklahoma is one of those states that has a lot of action going on. It's always get to, great to learn from the, the most important people in the industry. Can you maybe give everybody a quick little overview of how you ended up at the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana and your position there? Sure. I was appointed to this position August of 2021, so it's been almost two years now. And I took the job um, at the request of uh, the, the governor of Oklahoma, uh, Governor Kevin Stitt. He asked me to come in and uh, see what was going on, see what needed to be done. At the time, our department was under a larger agency, the State Department of Health. Now we are actually a standalone agency. The, the legislature moved us over and we are now our own state agency who uh, our entire job is to regulate and license the medical marijuana industry and patients in Oklahoma. Okay, very interesting. We talked to one of your residents there recently, a business intelligence uh, businessman who gave us a quick little overview of the, the industry, but I kind of wanted to start at the first topic of implementation versus impact. Um, has everything that's been uh, that they aim to implement being implemented? Are there things that got left off the, the licensing and what's been the impact, the biggest impact of the, the laws that have uh, happened in Oklahoma? Well, I think if you're asking about implementation, for, do you mean the people who voted to legalize in, in Oklahoma in 2018? Yeah, or and the laws, I'm sure at some stage, a set of politicians had to sit down and go, okay, how are we going to implement this in the state of Oklahoma? State by state seems to be so varied and so different. Has the impact been what the guy, people who are the ladies and men who have implemented the laws been what they had hoped for? Or has there been some lag in certain areas? Yeah, there have been, well, lots of differing opinions. Um, and when state question 788, it was a petition written by citizens of Oklahoma. That's what legalized medical marijuana in Oklahoma, as I'm sure you've heard. Um, and that happened in June of 2018. The people who wrote that and voted on that voted for a very free market approach to the medical marijuana industry. So they didn't have any, there were no caps on the number of plants that can be grown. There's no uh, limit on the size of a grow, a cultivation facility. There's no limit on the number of commercial licenses that we can grant. No limit on the number of patient licenses, no qualifying conditions. So as you can tell from what I'm saying, it was a very, uh, free market, free approach to medical marijuana, one that hasn't been done in any other state. So Oklahoma has been the kind of the test case for how the free market works in, when it comes to medical cannabis. So um, the session, the legislative session after that state question passed, the legislature did come in and wrote some laws uh, to, to put a little bit of a regulatory framework around the industry and I think that if you ask how the implementation was intended versus the impact, I believe that uh, all of the parties involved would say there were definitely uh, unforeseen um, consequences of the way that the free market approach worked. Uh, one of those is that the, the very low, uh, there's a very, very low barrier to entry into our industry which is not by itself ever a bad thing, right? You, um, but what has happened in Oklahoma is that even the uh, criminal organizations are getting an OMMA license or were getting an OMMA license. They found ways to get around. And so they look on the surface like they're legitimate, but they are actually um, not legitimate businesses. So what's happened is we are now uh, forced to, dis to distinguish who is a legitimate business owner 
versus who is a criminal actor. Um, and that takes up a lot of our time here at the regulatory agency. So the implementation versus the impact, I would say uh, there were definitely some unforeseen um, circumstances. And when it comes to Oklahoma, <coughs> excuse me, is it a blue or red state? It's a very red state. <laughs> okay, so it's uh, it, it's great to see that there was such an open uh uh, platform to be able to do these kind of things but like with everything when you open the gates there's always going to be a few little things that you need to tidy up once the gate have been opened when it comes to the regulatory framework the more permissive license approach that you guys had as you said there's some nefarious actors getting into the market that you didn't necessarily want is there software or is there now a separate uh, agency within your department that literally look after due diligence for business owners and ensure that uh, everybody meets the high standards Yes, uh, we are. We were able to implement seed to sale tracking last May, so it's been exactly one year. That has helped us tremendously by um, helping our inspectors who go out into the field. They do their research on our seed to sale tracking system before they go out and compare the two. So uh, oftentimes you're going to find that the criminal actors or people who are trying to get around the, the rules are not utilizing the seed to sale tracking system appropriately. That's just one way. Another way that we are identifying the uh, bad actors or the criminal actors in the industry is on the front end, on the licensing end. We've built up a, an investigative unit within our licensing department that digs deeper into license applications. So we know a little more what to look for now to see uh, if they are trying to, if these criminal organizations are trying to get into the legitimate industry. And we just are yeah, doing our due diligence, uh, putting a stringent um, read on every single commercial license application. The first couple of years of the program, that was not the case. Okay, very interesting. So for a country, let's say like Ireland over here in Europe, who looks like legalization is coming around the corner, what would be made the two things that you would recommend politicians and lawmakers ensure that that is a part and a core part of any industry from your previous experience? I would definitely recommend that you have a um, quality seed to sale tracking system before you ever start uh, allowing cultivation, processing, and selling of cannabis, whether it's medicinal or adult use. And the reason there is not because I'm thinking of it as an illegal product turned legal. I'm thinking of it as a product that at the end of the day, a consumer or a patient is going to inhale into their lungs or apply to their skin or consume we want to know that that is safe. And once cannabis becomes regulated in a country or a state, that is exactly the expectation. When a patient or a consumer goes into a dispensary, I want to be able to say with confidence to them that they can trust the products they're purchasing. And the only way they can do that is if we are uh, tracking it, making sure that it is tested properly, and we are doing our due diligence to ensure that it's not uh, a product that has been um, sold uh, on the illicit market and got into their hands. So at the end of the day, seed to sell tracking is incredibly important. But another thing that I would say is just making sure you have the um, correct, uh, to lawmakers, I would say, make sure you're uh, talking with people in the industry and talking with patients so that you're not making laws without their input. Uh, because this is a very, very complex uh, plant. It is not... Um, cut and dry. There is so much to know about cannabis regulation and you've got to find the experts, whether they're industry, patients, scientists, 
physicians, consult with all of them uh, to make sure that you're ahead of a lot of the technology and the innovation that's happening with cannabis. We have a thing over here in Ireland happening at the moment called a Citizens' Assembly, and they're generally gathered when there's going to be a new change in laws, whether it's gay marriage or abortion rights. We've now got one for drugs. That seems to be going very positively, and I seem to have done a number of things that you recommended there. We're still dealing with some of the, let's say we'll call it misinformation from specific either medical professionals or outside medical professionals. Has Does that still continue in Oklahoma as much as your industry has been a success or is the, is it does it dumb down once the industry gets going? Because it seems to come from mis, misinformed and uh, completely out of sync information. Right. No, I, that is something that I think is going to take years and years. And it's just going to take a cultural shift. And that takes time, you know. Uh, but even though we have such a large industry, a lot of the Oklahomans who voted yes to legalize uh, medical marijuana did so because they thought, okay, well, this is medicinal. It will help someone. I'm going to vote yes. What ended up happening in our the more rural parts of our state, uh, some of these bad actors and criminal organizations moved in and created and built these gigantic cannabis farms. They took all the water. <laughs> we have water is a finite, you know, precious resource. And in Oklahoma, it is an emotional um, thing. People are very protective of their water. So a lot of these uh, cannabis farmers were not being good neighbors. And that's put a really bad taste in a lot of Oklahomans mouths, especially in rural Oklahoma. And if you've been following, we had a petition on the ballot for adult use, recreational uh, cannabis use back in November, no, back in March, sorry. And that failed. It failed uh, by a pretty big margin. And I believe it's from what I'm saying to you that the people who thought that medicinal marijuana was just, was to be helpful have unfortunately seen kind of the bad sides of the industry in Oklahoma and, and don't want any more of it. So we have not, we've gone a little bit backwards on that culture war as far as the misinformation is kind of the bottom line there. Yeah, it's very interesting, as you said, that there's such an easy entry point into this market that anybody can get in. You seem to see that across the world in cannabis, that anybody with a bit of money can get into it. You then realize once the industry's up and running that, okay, we need real players in here. We need to set boundaries and licenses and all the variables that are going to ensure that if it was the cocoa market or whether it was the vanilla market, that they're all regulated to the same standard. Absolutely. Yes. And next, last topic, I'm going to let, uh, let you go in a couple of minutes because I know you're a very busy lady. Um, patient care and education when it comes to Oklahoma. Is this um, widespread across the state? Are there specific private entity companies that take care of patient care and education? Is it a, is it a capital mark where anybody can open up a private clinic, have my own doctors, and once we have the patients everything up and running, or are there certain frameworks that are in place to hinder patient access? It's pretty free market, just like everything else. And what we're finding in Oklahoma that goes back to what you were just talking about is that the physicians in Oklahoma have been resistant to learning more about cannabis and recommending cannabis. So a lot of times they might recommend for a patient to get their patient card, but then they don't really have the, the education or the knowledge to recommend um, dosage or type of um, consumption. So what has happened is... Uh, some groups have popped up that are not physicians that are more patient educators. So they've been able to create their own lane on um, educating patients. And I, 
I think that there's a lot of room to grow and we're working as the regulatory agency to try to put together some materials for patients based on science and medical knowledge and research. Um, it's still limited here in the U.S. I know, I'm sure you, you know that from everyone you've talk, spoken to, but, you know, uh, people like Dr. Grinspoon who are physicians who have done the research and do know the um, efficacy of it are helpful to all of us because we're able to point and say, look, there are physicians that have done this research. In Oklahoma, they're a little bit uh, resistant still. So patient education, patient education and care is really something that needs improvement here in Oklahoma. Yeah, it seems to be that same way, I think, across every state and every country that I've talked to, that the current doctors are of, of a specific age. And it doesn't necessarily make sense that we hope that the new wave of doctors coming through or actually learn about the ECS and all of the various dosage and ratios and profiles and even terpene benefits that they can start formulating good uh, individual sized medicines as opposed to there's a one size fits all uh, 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 model. And um, when, when it comes to Oklahoma over the next coming years, what is your biggest, your top two things that you want to see get enacted in Oklahoma? Well, for us, we just want to do our job. And a part of what the past couple of years have been since I came here was just building the staff, training the staff to make sure that we're actually out and uh, checking in with businesses, doing compliance inspections, uh, paying attention on the front end to these licenses. I want to see us working like a well-oiled machine. We're just not there yet. We're still a little clunky because we're still in a, a lot of our departments in training mode, learning. It takes time uh, to learn all of our rules and regulations. So that's a, that's. Uh, the goal for a year from now for us to be running like a well-oiled machine with transparency towards the industry and patients where they know exactly what we're doing. And we try to we try to make sure they always know what we're doing. Uh, as the government body, we are not ever trying to hide the ball. Uh, we want them to know what to expect from us. But that and then um, we are starting up our own quality assurance lab. Um, and we're going to partner with our Department of Agriculture to do that. And uh, part of the reason we're partnering with them is because of the uh, current uh, insurgence of the hemp-derived cannabinoids that we're seeing all across, um, I'm sure the world, but definitely across the United States that yeah. are largely unregulated. Yeah, HHC so. and Delta 8 are all over Europe as well. So yeah, okay. it seems to me they're, they're making up a huge chunk of the actual sales. What's the size of the market in Oklahoma on an annual basis? Oh, that's a great question. I don't have that number off the top of my head. And we actually just, um, we have some data on our NCS dashboard that might be helpful with that, but I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Not at all, not at all. I will check that out. It's been amazing talking to you. I know you're a very busy person and so on. It's the start of the day over there. You've got lots to get done, so I won't take take up more of your time. It's been fantastic talking to you, Adrian. Hopefully when Ireland starts getting some movement and regulations, we can touch base with you again and see what we can learn in Europe from all the excellent work you guys are doing in Oklahoma. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was great to meet you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And until next episode, everybody. Ooh.